These are basically, they are remnants of ancient jungles and rainforests from about 50 to 60 million years ago. They are what they call carbon-based redox molecules. And what they do, they set up housekeeping in your intestine. Mm. And they're very friendly and they survive very well. Some people, especially if they have what we call SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, many of these folks, when they take probiotics you know, or they take fermented foods, they produce enough gas to, to, to fill the Goodyear blimp. Hmm. I mean, they just feel miserable. Really help heal that gut. Preventative medicine. That's exactly right. That's the best form. You have to be a student uh, for the rest of your life. And that's one of the reasons that I think we get along so well is we hold, maybe not each other, right? But ourselves, of course, um, accountable for continuing to read and study information and figure out why and how to affect these, you know, greater, you know, mechanisms in the body and the, these physiological uh, uh, interactions. If you are listening to this, that means you are listening to the Dr. Perlman podcast. And I just want to say thank you. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, I hope that this podcast provides you with some education, information, or maybe some inspiration in some way, shape, or form. But at the very least, if you get a little bit of a laugh or smile, then to be honest, I feel good about what I'm doing. are officially recording and super excited. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome back to the Dr. Perlman Podcast. And in this episode, I am sitting down with Mr. Mark Kreisman. And before, and welcome to the apartment complex. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, this has been a few months now, many months in the making. And uh, before I have Mark tell us about himself, and before we get carried away, with all things nutrition, supplementation, healthy lifestyle living, natural, healthy wellness, lifestyle living. Um, why don't you, because I'm going to do this different. I'm not going to make the introduction I usually do. So Mark, tell me, tell, tell everyone who's listening, how did you become Mark Prizman, nutritional consult, uh, consultant guru, and someone that has influenced me so greatly in the last few months ever since I met you? Well, one thing, I didn't instantly become a guru. There's no way... Uh, do we wave magic wand and you're a nutrition guru? I really learned the hard way, and my life path was sort of directed by uh, early circumstances. Uh, as a kid, I was right now I'm not a kid anymore. I'm 77 years old. Uh, very blessed uh, to have made it this far down the path. But I was very overweight as a kid and was bullied quite a bit about it. Loved to eat. eat big drippy peanut butter jelly sandwiches on white bread were my passion. And it had nothing to do with whether I was hungry. I just loved those foods. And as a result, I became very overweight and really miserable. And that was in my early teens. Well, I was fortunate to have some people in my life who were a good influence on me. And when I got to my late, late 20s, I realized I just had to make a change, you know. And, you know, I started reading as much as I could. Uh, I found out uh, things that that apparently worked for me, helped decrease appetite, helped me start losing some of this fat, you know, this deep, what they call deep visceral obesity. And that became a tremendous motivator. It is one thing to read about something and it's fascinating. It's another one, hey, wait a minute, this stuff actually works. This isn't just, doesn't just, you know, tickle your brain. I mean, it really works and produces results. And that's why I became 
hungry for information and knowledge and not just hungry for foods that were just making me feel miserable about myself. So uh, people would, of course, ask, well, Mark, how are you doing this? You know, well, and you start sharing it with them. And some people will be interested. Others glaze over and say, oh, well, you're a health nut. You know, my mom always used to say, look, you can be a health nut, you can be a sick nut. So I decided I would be a health nut. <laughs> and I, I enjoy doing that. I find it very satisfying to be able to assist other people. And yes, I do take a good variety of supplements. Uh, people always ask, how many vitamins do you take a day? That's just sort of a classical question. And all of us have never counted. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what I take isn't vitamins, there's minerals, there's herbs, there's all, all sorts of things that you can do to help yourself. And I found it was worked for me, yep. but it's not in the number of pills. You know, you've got to know what's right for you. We're all as individuals are fingerprints. Right. Yeah, there's no average fingerprint. Yeah, so you've got to be willing to, to do some studying. And I found, you know, I, for me, I didn't have to adhere to just one particular diet. Like, you don't have to be paleo and then put yourself in a paleo straitjacket where you can't, where you dare not uh, vary from it. Right. You don't have to be perfect keto, although there were certainly situations that can be very effective for many people. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be a strict vegetarian. Some of the least healthy people I've seen are people who are strict vegetarians because they're junketarians. They yeah. just eat junk food that isn't from animals. And that's, that's actually, we're going to definitely talk about that in depth because one of the things that Mark Sisson, the uh, author of The Primal Blueprint, talks about, especially now, is that metabolic flexibility. And again, I don't want to jump in full, full uh, bore to it right now, but I mean, it almost brings up this uh, concept of moderation and then people will hear him maybe say that and then they hear somebody like me who for months and months and months went on about how much I promote uh, you know, the ketogenic diet because of how well it worked for me over a sustained six to eight month period. And then I ate a clean keto with more carb kind of diet for another almost a year after that. But I've developed that metabolic flexibility. But the idea of moderation is what takes us down this slippery slope of potentially a beer a night potentially a candy bar a day and a a cookie a night. And again, we're going to talk about that because again, you know, strict paleo window, vegetarian, raw vegan diet. But one of the things I want people to know is one of the, what impressed me the most about you, uh, other than your knowledge was you're an older gentleman, but I mean, you are just old, (laughs) (laughs) but you've been doing this a long time. And you and you and I were talking. I mean, and you're you're on it. I mean, you are just sharp as a tack. You turned me on to some amazing research that I hadn't seen before in terms of uh, the setalytics. Setalytics. Mm-hmm. So you turned me on to the setalytics and looking into how that could potentially be um, anti-carcinogenic, for lack of a better word, right? Mm-hmm. And I want. We're going to get into all this, but you. I mean, how did you become a nutrition consultant? What is your uh, degrees, you know, they're pieces of paper. Sometimes they mean something, sometimes they don't. But what is, what was your background? Like, how far did you get to, you know, kind of be able to coach and help so many people with weight loss, GI issues, and so forth and so on? Well, it's very interesting the way it happened. You know, I, uh, back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, I worked in health clubs for a while. I worked for a variety of weight control programs of, of varying qualities. But then one day, you know, I guess maybe it was divinely ordained or maybe just pure dumb luck or a mix of the two, <laughs> I, I saw an ad in the newspaper. You know, uh, these people were looking for someone to work uh, 
uh, in a quote unquote health food store working with customers. I said, well, that sounds, might, it might be of interest because it seemed to crystallize in a nutshell what I, what I was interested in. So I went in, applied for the job, uh, got it in 1979, and here it is, uh, 2021. I spent more time working in the nutrition business than Moses spent in the desert. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you, you split a few red seas. Yes, I, sometimes it feels like that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but it, it, it's, it's been a very satisfying journey, but at times very frustrating mm-hmm. because I know many of our listeners, you know, our heads are spinning when we hear all this information, nutritional information, and more often misinformation on TV and on the internet. One day this is good for you. Oh, no, no, don't do that. It's going to kill you. I so got, what's the mother to do? You know? I, and I got to ask, what do you think the greatest misinformation out there right now is? I mean, it's hard to just pick one, but what's like grinds your gears when you hear it? Vitamins don't work mm-hmm. or eat a balanced diet. Right. What does that mean? Or you'll see a commercial for some boxed cereal. It says, make this cereal a part of your healthy diet. Yeah, it's the lousy, unhealthy part of your healthy diet. So some of the greatest misinformation is balanced out. What does that even mean? I mean, if it's going to be a balanced side, if you eat a piece of beef, does that mean eat some of the horn, eat some of the hide, eat some of the hoof? That would be the balance. See, they say, eat some carbs, eat some sugar, eat some vegetables, eat some fruit, eat some meat. and uh, Have these healthy whole grains. Oh, whole whole (laughs) grains. Yeah, this has become a mantra that's like, that's a healthy thing to do. Humans were never designed to digest grains. The bread we eat, the bread we eat now, is not as as Mark Hyman says. It's not the bread we ate ten thousand years ago. If you made bread, you could stand on it. You know what's amazing is I ask you what's the number one thing, and you talk about like balance, right? Like eat a balanced diet. Like what does that mean? Or vitamins are bad for you? And I just had a video where I ranted about how Cheerios gets to make these commercials that say part of a heart healthy breakfast. Reducing your cholesterol, and I said, and here you are saying, and we didn't pre, we haven't talked about this before. No, we're just freeform here, <laughs> freeform podcast. The reality is, I said in, in my little one minute rant on Instagram, Doctor Perlman TV. <laughs> uh, it's I said, um, the only thing Cheerios is good for is diabetes, and you know I stand by that. So let, let's talk a little bit more about that. A balanced diet. People are wrong uh, or anyone who says something like that again this ties back into that whole concept of moderation uh one of the things we talked about right the outline i sent you people don't know where to turn i get people questioning me every single day now in the beginning it was one in a while now every day can i have this snack on keto how many ounces of beef should i have can i have white rice with this that and the other thing um why don't you like oatmeal as a cereal so why don't you inform the uh, listeners i mean what's going on what, what should we be what should we be eating when it comes to a healthy breakfast is it individualized to you know uh, their gut microbiome let's get into it yeah well one thing i've found is we as individuals we are all completely unique and i've always felt that your body will give you a report card mm-hmm. on what you do if you eat a particular food in your end of gas and bloating and you feel like a beached whale well, I don't care which expert, quote unquote expert, says it's good for you. Your body's saying, I can't digest this garbage. Please don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, or you see things, you know, people get stomach acid. 
Well, they take this pill and it shows them eating the same garbage that their body said it can't digest, but you're trying to force it to do that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just crucially important, I think, that we try first and foremost to eat actual real food. And I say that because I have a real fascination with the way food is advertised these days, the psychology they're using and how they're trying to build their sales, of course. And most of these quote-unquote foods, or as Mark Pollan says, these are somebody's idea of food or they're food-like substances. These are designed for entertainment. Look at the advertising. The guys at the Sonic drive-in, you know, they're sitting in the car, they're very witty and charming. And here they are putting this stuff away and laughing and have a good time. Never in the commercial does it tell you what this does. We should enjoy eating. We should enjoy food. But we should eat when we're actually hungry. And we should give food, give ourselves food. That isn't the equivalent of shooting yourself in the foot or in the heart or in the lungs or in the brain. So we must, I think, as much as possible eat real food. This is not to say that you have to put yourself in a gastronomical straitjacket where you can't ever enjoy yourself. Eating should provide more joy than just going to the gas station and filling your tank. We should enjoy food, but let it be real food. Because if you're going to spend the rest of your life sitting in the doctor's office on all kinds of pharmaceuticals, and there's a time and a place for pharmaceuticals, Mm -hmm. not every time and not every place, we need to be taking in food that actually is real food. This is... I'm, I'm tempted, right, to ask the question, uh, <laughs> how does one begin to know their body to be able to give them a report card of what they've eaten, which you which you did kind of answer, gas, bloating, it's not digesting right, it's making you feel like crap. The fatigue, mm-hmm. headaches, disrupted sleep. So then rather than ask that, because it might be straightforward at this point, at least to most of our listeners, I think the real question becomes, what's the first step? To combat that, whether it's something like a fennel seed or artichoke or something where you turn me on to some articles mm-hmm. about whether that's going to decrease some of the um, uh, or sorry, allow better peristalsis or certainly turn off some of the um, enzymes that create the methane gas. What about going at it from like a, a, a gut rehab? Like what is your number one? Like say you've got a patient sitting across from right now, Mark, I just can't stop this bloating gas. My doctor told me to eat more fiber. Uh, it's just everything's falling apart. What do they do? Where do they start? Okay. One thing, when it comes to gas and bloating, the first thing most people want to do is go get a one of the advertised probiotics, mm-hmm. most of which I have to say are useless. Again, getting back to the average fingerprint, there's no average, quote-unquote, microbiome. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got trillions of these guys and many different varieties in the intestine. So the first thing to do isn't to run out and buy a, pre- a, 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 a prebiotic and then keep on eating what you're eating. Because that's like trying to put a forest fire on the stop sign. Mm. It's, 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 it's not, in most cases, it's really not going to be effective. I think first and foremost, you've got to look at eating the foods for which we were orig- originally designed to eat. And when you go into the grocery store, most, most of what you see there is not designed to, even to be digestible. It, it, it just isn't. Mm. You know, it, it's designed to make money for the food processors. There's a great book out now. Uh, I've seen some interviews with the author. I haven't read the book yet, but uh, I will read it and digest it in the near future. It's called Hooked. Very meaningful because it talks about how the designers of these highly processed foods are trying to hit what they call the bliss point, where it's got the perfect mouthfeel, 
the perfect amount of salt, the perfect amount of sugar, the perfect amount of fat, to where you do not want to stop eating it. And then on top of all this, this is going to sound blazingly paranoid. It, it's not. <laughs> I'm not blazing, I'm not even moderately paranoid. Yeah. Even paranoids have enemies, <laughs> as they say. But there's a brilliant MD named Russell Blaylock who wrote a book many years ago called Excitotoxins, that taste that kills. These are the things that they add to the foods where they say you can't eat just one. They tickle the addiction part of our brain. And to get technical, it's called the nucleus accumbens. This is where our food addictions are built. Mm -hmm. So they add a lot of things that are related to MSG. Uh, these are called glutamates. They're called excitotoxins. And your taste buds do not enter the roof of the mouth. They extend into your brain. And if you overexcite these neurons, at some point, they're going to die. So I think first and foremost, you just got to open your refrigerator and take a hard look at it and realize this is not going to be an easy ride. It's going to be difficult. Yeah, there's a, a, a great quote. It says, each man must choose one of two pains the pain of uh, discipline or the pain of regret. Yep. And uh, You sent that to me about a week ago, I yeah, remember. I saw it, yeah. it really, really strikes me. And the part of your brain that's going to be listening to this, we're thinking, I can't give up these foods. I really enjoy them. There's so much pleasure involved in them. Well, we, we have a relationship with food. In all honesty, you're not really giving up Twinkies. You're trading them for something better. If you go buy a new car, you have you bring in your old car as a trade-in. You're not giving up your old car. You're trading it in for something new and improved. Yep. The deal is coming to grips with it and not being harsh with yourself and say, "I can't live without this." Yeah, you know, I've got to have this food. I don't know what I'm going to do. Yep. Yeah, listen to yourself talk. And, and hearing you say this, it really just kind of aligns perfectly for me to you know jump in and add. If you think it's you know what the younger kids are saying now, mm -hmm. YOLO, right? You only live once. And they're thinking, you know, well, you know, I'm not going to deprive myself of anything. But, you know, when you're stimulating this nucleus accumbens part of your brain, when you are constantly releasing and triggering the dopamine or reward center or triggering the parts of your brain that want more and more sugar, that has the same type of addictive properties as cocaine and various other bad drugs. Yes. When, when you keep living that life, you are going to end up probably about 40 something with heart disease, diabetes, obesity. Uh, vulnerable to all sorts of pathogens, viruses, diseases, and then who, how is that living? That's not living. You're just dying slowly. You're dying early. You're dying prematurely. And that's like kind of the message that I'm hearing from you. And I'm re-emphasizing that, you know, in my words here. Cause there's, there's a, I'm always mentioning the names of books and authors because yep. there's stuff I really get excited about mm -hmm. when I read it. And I always want to find a way to share it with people who will listen. Yeah, I'm not trying to force anything down anybody's throat. Yeah, but the name of the book is called The Hacking of the American Mind by an MD and being named Robert Lustig, who's written sure. many books on, on sugar. Yeah. And in his, this in this particular book, he writes a lot about something called neuromarketing, where whatever it is, whether it's a new shirt or a new car, shoes or, or Twinkies, this is a pleasurable, rewarding experience. Humans are built to seek reward, whether it's food or reproduction or shelter or physical comfort. But what happens, dopamine is a pleasure chemical, but by its very nature, it's very fleeting. Uh, serotonin, which is more contentment and true happiness, that's the way you really want to go, because you don't really get addicted to contentment. I mean, have you ever been feeling just a nice, peaceful feeling? I need to get a 
deeper feeling of peace. I get more contented. Come on, what can I do to get more contented? But the more dopamine you stimulate, the less contented you're going to be. You're going to seek more pleasure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at what happened, what's happening with all these terrible uh, drug epidemics that are killing people off by, by the thousands. Mm-hmm. That doesn't produce contentment. And the things that produce contentment you know, are helping other people, uh, emphasizing your serotonin system, mm-hmm. yeah, not your dopamine system. Sure, you want to have pleasure, but if it's unbalanced, the more pleasure you get, the less serotonin you're going to have. So it's important to not confuse pleasure uh, with uh, peace and contentment and happiness, not the same thing. Right. So this all boils down to, again, looking at the food that we eat or the so-called food we eat. Mm-hmm. Make sure it's food. Yeah. Again, it's it's like getting a divorce. You know, don't, but goodbye Twinkies, Arrivederci, I'm never going to see you again. Mm-hmm. You know, look at these things as maybe an occasional uh, treat. Yeah, but if you're going to make that your daily song and dance, you're not going to be singing very well. You're not going to be dancing very well because you're going to be in a lot of physical pain. You're going to have a lot of inflammation. Uh, before you know it, uh, you're forgetting your own name. You're going to end up with cognitive decline, which is now also a national epidemic. So I, I tend to go off on tangents with this because there's so many thoughts that pop into mind when uh, you only ask this kind of question. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm just trying to get information out there because I hope some of our listeners will say, you know, hey, wait a minute. You know, I can. I think I can do something with this. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the goal. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm just as guilty as the next person going down rabbit holes and getting on tangents. Hey, be a culpa. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why we get along so well. It's the passion. It's you know the message. It's like it, it needs to be screamed uh, louder from more rooftops, from more people. Because really, I mean, we are, we're looking at generations of, of, of younger family members struggling with not just the financial burden of taking care of somebody who is declining fast, but then uh, the emotional burden. I mean, that's one of the reasons that, that got me here. And I'm not going to go in the whole story because I've told it before on podcasts. But I mean, my family, I lost my dad to cancer when he was 39 and I was about 16, I believe. I watched my grandmother die of leukemia. And then I remember on her deathbed, she pretty much blamed it on the, uh, uh, what was it? She blamed it on the uh, the fake sugar packets, the sulacrose oh, ones. Oh, yes. Uh, sweet and low. Yeah, the sweet and lows. And those kinds of things at the time. I mean, look, who really knows? But she was, her whole life, obesity, obesity on everyone within my family, minus maybe like a sister, uh, someone with a bariatric surgery. And then I've watched her put a lot of the weight back on. And it's very sad because... You know, again, I'm screaming this stuff from the rooftops and I'm showing them how to kind of wean into a healthy whole food way of eating. And, uh, you know, the vitamins that may be, you know, efficacious to take. And yeah, I mean, that, but again, without getting down the rabbit hole, but back on, on par, right? GI issues, eating whole foods. I like to re- recommend a product called Revital X to a lot of my patients when they're trying to get rid of some gas, bloating, irritable bowel-like symptoms. I'm not familiar with it. And I, I'm happy to say that, and I don't even know who makes it, and again, no financial incentive to me, but this Revital X, this powder, uh, what's amazing is it has all these properties that seem to uh, support the research in terms of fixing things like these, like these tight junctions in the GI mm-hmm. that aren't absorbing nutrients, i.e. leaky gut. So would you care to elaborate or, or, or let's educate some people on why L-glutamine seems to work so well, why quercetin is so versatile and seems to be one of the other uh, number one recommended 
uh, sources for healing, not just leaky gut, but some of these irritable bowel type diseases. Well, yeah, you only heard him mention tight junctions. Yeah. For a lot of people, that's going to be, what in the world is a tight junction? It's going to yeah. sound like a place where I can't squeeze through. Right. Well, your, your, your intestine, each, each of us comes complete with about 30 feet of digestive tract. Mm-hmm. Well, when you swallow food or whatever, it doesn't just happily get absorbed 100% and make its way to all your cells and everybody lives happily ever after. The intestine very carefully manages what can get through and what cannot get through. Mm-hmm. But a lot of our gut problems are aggravated by the uh, uh, justifiably criticized glyphosate or, or Roundup. One of the problems with this is it's practically on everything. Yeah, unless you're eating organic, and even if you're eating organic foods, there's going to be a tiny amount because we're living in the 21st century. But what glyphosate does, and this will be a tremendous aggravator of virtually all intestinal problems, whether it's small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, uh, inflammatory bowel disease, glyphosate ruins these tight junctions. It's like Velcro. And the technical name is called the zonula occludens. Mm-hmm. And when you take glyphosate, it causes the zonulins just to open up the intestinal the tight junctions where everything can get through. Things that aren't, were ever supposed to get to your bloodstream. And when they get there, they float to your organs, they float to your joints, they float to your thyroid, to your brain. And the body goes, what in the age is this all about? Yeah, so it starts sending out its own cells to attack this stuff. This is called autoimmune disease. This isn't going to be cause for every autoimmune disease, but it's going to be a definitely a contributing factor in many, if not most, cases. And this this stuff is ubiquitous. We've got to be careful to avoid it. And I know sometimes when people talk about eating organic, a lot of people roll their eyes. It sounds so prissy and fussy and neurotic. I eat organic. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say you're in a restaurant, you order a salad, and they bring you the salad. And the waiter comes up and he's got a sprayer full of all kinds of pesticides. So it's like pesticides on your salad? <laughs> well, no. Well, you don't have to. It's already there. <laughs> you know, it's already there. You know, this stuff is designed to kill bugs and mold and fungus. Well, it may kill them instantly. For us, it's going to take longer. Hmm. You know, and getting old, and I guess at 77, I guess I'm old. You know, I don't have any chronic issues, you know, little tiny things, mm-hmm. but, you know, I don't have chronic pain, I sleep like a baby, you know, and I'm vain enough to where I want to have, have a nice appearance, you know, but that's going to be a reflection of uh, good, good, clean living, as clean as I can get it, so be a human being. But I, I guess in a roundabout way, I addressed your, well, your question. Well, and, and no, it, it did. Yeah. And the thing that I want to know is, does that mean when a doctor tells their patient who's having GI symptoms, maybe they go to the gastroenterologist, which I have nothing against, but maybe I do have a little against if someone says, well, eat a little better, like we talked about earlier, balance, and they say eat uh, vegetables. I mean, that almost sounds like go eat glyphosate. That's the advice that I'm kind of hearing. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's unfortunately, unless you're going out of your way to get organic vegetables, yeah, it's, it's going to be on there because glyphosate was originally designed as a as a weed killer. Mm-hmm. It, it 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 causes the weeds to dry up, yep. and uh, it kills them because it destroys uh, the 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 living microbiome that's in that weed. In fact, on the plant, it destroys the microbiome in that plant, mm-hmm. and it does the same thing with our intestinal microbiome. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we were talking about dopamine and serotonin earlier. Well, about 50% of your dopamine, about 90% of your serotonin is not produced in your brain. It's produced by the gut microbiome. Yeah. So, you know, if you're doing... Our first brain, the gut. Because if, you, if, you, if you're killing off these guys that make your own feel-good and feel-balanced chemicals, how are you going to feel good? I mean, you look at... This is kind of going off on a, on a limb here. But you look at the amount of anger in our society now, outrage... People are furious. They don't seem to have any impulse control. There's many contributors to that. But a lot of our mood is determined by our microbiome. Mm -hmm. And if you're killing off your own good guys, the own troop, your own troops in your own body that are there to protect you, well, how can you expect that to have a good result? You know, as you said, you know, autoimmune. And that was going to kind of take me into the next segue, but I don't want to skip over too fast. But I will say, I looked up something the other day because I'm starting to see more and more patients. You see more and more people struggling with what's obviously inflammation. And oh, by the way, here's a little hack for everybody out there. If you want to find out if your pain is inflammatory or mechanical, in other words, do I have a mechanical disc type pain, nerve pain, or am I really just inflamed? Go ahead and take a couple Advil or maybe swallow a whole bunch of curcumin, you know, the ones that come with the black pepper. Give yourself, you know, a few hour window without eating. And if your pain seems to go away, it's probably inflammatory. And if your pain is not going away, then you need to come see a chiropractor. <laughs> no, in that, particular, chiropractor. in particular, a chiropractor. <laughs> uh, no, no incentive. Uh, but <laughs> the thing I was going to say is, I looked at, I, I wrote, what are the foods you should eat to avoid chronic inflammation? And the first two sites that came up, and I'm going to end up posting all these links in the in the description for everyone out there, so you know where I'm getting this stuff from. The first two links that came up uh, were some like really well-funded, beautiful-looking websites, clearly some people that had their way up at the top of Google, not even the ads, but just their kind of organic uh, listing. And it said, don't eat red meat, don't eat saturated fat, eat vegetables and whole grains, whatever. Then I went down and found the PubMed research article about you know six um, spots down. And I pulled it up from 2019, I believe, and I'm gonna, again, share this in the, in the, uh, uh, share this in the, the content, the, the notes. And it said clearly what was triggering the autoimmune antibodies, like the things that were showing in the, you know, the uh, IgG, they're called the antibodies that, that you know, uh, really they're like anti antibodies that swallow up and, and harm the antibodies from protecting against antigens. Again, autoimmune, attacking your own body. Okay. It has said basically vegetables and whole grains, including rice, are the most autoimmune triggering in a, you know, I think it was something like 800 participants. And they actually said something like it was egg yolks, beef and fish to be the absolute least. Oh, and the vegetable that was on there were all any cooked vegetables and avocado that were the least autoimmune um, triggering. So again, it's like we're getting all this bad information from people that have this, you know, agenda and the real information, the efficacious peer-reviewed literature and, and as partic in particular, the meta-analyses and the systemic reviews that kind of show the numbers. You can't really ignore the numbers when you're analyzing, you know, five or six various randomized controlled trials with thousands of participants. That seems to be where things are very clear talking about whole foods, right? Non-anti-inflammatory, which really I want to say then, what? there's no such thing maybe as a superfood, but do you think that there are certain things that people are like, they can eat this like it's fall proof that you would say are real foods that uh, Mark Prizman says, eat this and you'll be well, okay. <clears throat> I have a certain, I mean, so 
I really try to follow as much as possible in, in a quote-unquote anti-inflammatory diet, mm -hmm. which means eliminating some of the most popular stuff on the planet. I don't use seed oils, mm -hmm. you know, basically you know, things like you know, corn oil. Corn is actually not a, not a seed, it's a grain. Mm -hmm. But you know, corn oil, uh, safflower oil, all of these things are like putting sugar in the tank of your car. Mm -hmm. they, they just, your body can't handle this stuff. It, it triggers extreme amounts of inflammation. And just, just briefly, we're all hearing about inflammation. Mm -hmm. The most damaging inflammation is the, is the inflammation that doesn't directly cause pain. It's what we call silent inflammation. Mm -hmm. It's the inflammation that occurs in the linings, the, the walls of your arteries, in your brain, in your skin, in your eyes, in your lungs. It, it's more of what we call a smoldering inflammation. Mm -hmm. And it just, your body's having to use all of its energies to, to deal with these toxic substances. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it affects mood in people who are depressed, people who are schizophrenic. They have very high levels of uh, in, what they call inflammatory cytokines. Mm -hmm. So it's not just bad luck that we're depressed. Sure, we have a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. But life has always had stress, but that doesn't mean that you have to always be in physical pain, again, having gastrointestinal problems and constipation and or diarrhea. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've got to address the inflammation issue very strongly. And what oils, because this is actually, you talked about seed oils right away, so this is a big thing now. So what oil should people be buying? Well, it, interestingly, uh, you know, coconut oil is one that's well known. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure you don't get one that's been processed and deodorized and bleached to where it has no flavor. Just, just, just get organic uh, natural coconut oil. Mm -hmm. And there's a variety. One, I'm a huge fan of olive oil. And it's not because it has monounsaturated fat. Because monounsaturated fat isn't going to oxidize. There's not enough places on it for the oxygen to cause oxidation and relieve, uh, release free radicals. Mm -hmm. But olive oil is not the monounsaturated aspect. It's what they call polyphenols. Mm -hmm. When you taste real olive oil, and about 80% of the olive oils on the American market are adulterated. They've got seed oils in them. But when you get real olive oil, you take it straight, and you put it on your tongue, you're going to be getting like a, like a burning, peppery feeling at the back of your tongue. It's not really a flavor, but it's described as a somatosensory experience. From a pain, from a pain standpoint, it actually is very similar to, uh, to ibuprofen and its ability to relieve pain. And don't worry about the calories in it. All these fast meals have about 120 calories at a tablespoon. But olive oil, it's one of the reasons, it's the real secret of the Mediterranean diet. It's not the crusty bread, you know, uh, mm -hmm. the vegetables are wonderful, of course, and fish is wonderful, but it's the abundant amount of olive oil they use. And it's the, it's the real deal, it's the stuff that's almost, it's not quite like horseradish, mm -hmm. but it's in a similar ballpark. Oh, but that's that you want to use that kind of oil. Uh, now I do use omega three fish oil. That is a polyunsaturated fat. Mm -hmm. But with a tablespoon or two a day, and you're eating other foods that are natural anti-inflammatories and antioxidants, you're going to get the benefit. Mm -hmm. But if you're eating tablespoons of corn oils and safflower oil and canola oil every day, I don't think there's enough supplements uh, yep. to offset that. No, and there's not. And the sickest people I'm seeing right now. Are people that in large families are eating, you know, fried foods, frying in these seed oils and vegetable oils? They have, they're just not aware of how unhealthy they are. Uh, generations of obesity, bloating, acne, uh, joint pain, 
autoimmune-like properties, uh, paresthesia, and uh, oh god, uh, what they in pre-diabetes when you start to feel the uh, uh, neuropathies, yeah. um, and and it's just it's it's terrible. And what's amazing is because I share a similar story to you, where I was 236 pounds in 2007. And then at the end of grad school, at only 185 pounds, but I have the before and after picture somewhere online, at 185 pounds, I was getting extraordinarily sick in the same frame that is sitting across from me right now. And I went on, that was when I went on the keto diet and I, and I just got healthy. I mean, within a matter of, you know, six to eight weeks, everything changed. And I mean, I had the, the I was getting the blurry vision. Mm-hmm. I was running to the bathroom in the middle of labs because I could not control my, you know, urine. Uh, I mean, it was disastrous. And I, and I was just so heavy and tired. I couldn't believe it. And it's amazing what, you know, and that was like the moment. I mean, first off, I was finally educated enough to kind of understand the idea of ketosis and then to utilize it and completely transform my body and my physiology. Oh, my God. And so what you're saying, yes, is like my experience too. monounsaturated uh, avocado oil is kind of what I say just to kind of protect everybody from potentially having that uh, contaminated olive oil. And I know some avocado oil is contaminated as well. I just stick to the one that I feel is makes me feel the best from Whole Foods, who I try to put my faith in Whole Foods, where I spend, you know, three quarters of my paycheck, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the my world. <laughs> but, uh, so, okay, what is your opinion on red meat? Kind of, sort of, not as hot a topic as it used to be, but what, what's your opinion on that? Well, yeah, I know now, of course, there's taken to the the extreme, you know, the carnivore diet. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I don't think that's that's an ideal way to go, but I think red meat can be wonderful food. Mm-hmm. However, this is a big however, it needs to be grass-fed and it needs to be organic. Yep. You know, cows or steers, they weren't ever designed to eat corn. They weren't designed to eat soy. It makes them fat real quick. Yeah, just like it does Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harvard nutritionists describe our country as the great American feedlot. We're being fed the same foods that they used to fatten cattle. So I think red meat can be a wonderful food. I don't think you have to have it three times a day. But if it's organic, grass-fed, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but the you know, we've always heard you are what you eat. Well, you also are what you eat, ate. Yeah, and if the cattle have been fed lots of corn, if they've been given antibiotics, uh, they've been given lots of soy, well, even though you can say, I don't eat those things, but if you're eating that animal, Mm -hmm. you're eating what it ate. So it's really Mm -hmm. important to be careful in your choice. Negative quality food. And we don't have to talk about this, but do you want to address the, uh, like, antibiotic resistance, like the bacterial, you know, susceptibility because of these antibiotics? Well, unfortunately, this is... For a while, this is something nobody heard of. But now antibiotics are really losing their punch. Uh, Bacteria, uh, they're very clever. They haven't been on this planet for billions of years because they were stupid. They they adapt very quickly. In fact, certain species of bacteria, they'll share the resistance with other bacteria. They're they're very uh, philanthropic in that regard, much to our detriment. And it, it looks like, at least the research and some of the data that I've looked at, it looks like this is partly because of the antibiotics given to chicken, pigs, cows. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge part of it. And now science is being forced to look at alternatives mm-hmm. because otherwise, you know, you're having lots of old epidemics uh, making their way back to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a hundred years ago, 
uh, I think it was in Russia or Bulgaria, maybe a little over 100 years ago, they were doing research and using what are called phages, P-H-A-G-E-S. Believe it or not, these are actually viruses. And you find them growing uh, in the most odd and most unappealing of places, but different, different phages, they'll attack. They'll attach themselves. They're an odd-looking little creature. It looks like it's some organism that floated down from outer space. Yeah. It'll attach onto that virus or onto that bacteria. It feeds its substance into that bacteria, replicates, and destroys the bacteria, most notably with E. coli, which, which is a very well-known uh, uh, cause of intestinal distress. Mm -hmm. And uh, the bacteria can't develop resistance to this. And such things, such things as garlic... Uh, there's just any number of things that can serve as natural antibiotics, but there's no uh, no pharmaceutical company is going to make billions of dollars selling garlic. <laughs> Although the companies now are working on developing specific phages, phages, phages for different types of bacteria. Yeah. So there's millions of dollars of research going on that right now. Okay. Right now. Well, let's get into specific. I mean, I'd like to get into specific vitamins, minerals, supplements that people can take to strengthen things. And I think if we go kind of one at a time, and you can either say pass, we'll <laughs> edit it out, or we can, we can get into it. Sure. So, all right, immune protocol. Somebody who wants to feel like they have the step up with, you know, not getting sick from viruses, whether it's the Rona or whether it's a rhino. I mean, the common cold. How can people strengthen their immune and, and stop being sick all the time? Okay. Well. I think the health of your immune system is a very good indicator of your own general health. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to look at, okay, do I just need to take large amounts of this particular vitamin or this particular mineral? Uh, understand, all of these things interact. And very often when they test vitamins, you know, whoever they are, pharmaceutical companies, if they fund a study, mm -hmm. they're trying to fund failure. Yeah. They're not going to say, oh, well, you don't need our drug anymore, just take large amounts of vitamin A. These all work together as a team. And if you just test them individually, it's like putting the best quarterback in the world out on the field without any of his defenders. You get flattened every time. You know, it's like when you drive your car up to a store. Well, which, what is the active ingredient in that car yeah. that got you there? Is it the tires or the steering wheel? Just try to drive a steering wheel. This all works together as a team. So, I mean, each of these nutrients does have a function. Yeah. You know, vitamin A is absolutely crucial for night vision. If you don't have enough vitamin A, you don't form something in your eyes called rhodopsin, also called visual purple. You'll have lots of trouble with night vision. It'll take forever for your eyes to adjust and to walk into a relatively dark room. Mm -hmm. But if you're low on zinc, your body can't activate the vitamin A. But if you have zinc and you don't have enough B6, see, it all ties together. That's the advantage of eating foods. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm a nutrition consultant. I'm also in the, the food supplement business. But supplements... Are strictly that there's supplements to good food, not substitutes for it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think it's important to realize that. It, 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 one of the things that gets this old guy's blood pressure and blood boiling is when I see things that say, "Well, we tried vitamins and they didn't work." Didn't work. What were they looking for? They're expecting a trip to the moon on gossamer wings. <laughs> vitamins aren't pep pills. You know, they, they work in subtle ways. You know, like vitamin A again. You're gonna have poor night vision. You have skin issues. You're going to be more prone to respiratory tract infections. Did I, did I hear vitamin A for wound healing as well? 
Oh, yeah. Very important for wound healing is epithelial skin health. Only topically or when ingested orally? Well, no. I guess you could apply this vitamin A and D oil. Lotion is a very famous old mm-hmm. drugstore remedy, but you've got to take it internally. Okay. Because skin still has and always will grow from the inside out. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for healthy skin, uh, it's got to be what you take internally. You know, the health of your intestine reflects very well in the, your, the lining of your skin. So if you have poor intestinal health, it's going to be difficult to have a rosy, glowing, healthy complexion. Mm-hmm. But again, then the B vitamins. There's people debate how many B vitamins there are. Some say nine, some say 11. The ideally should come from food. But like as I'm here talking to Yoni, he's nodding his head. Well, without B vitamins, you can't go from the thought, I want to nod my head, to actually being able to do it. Mm-hmm. They handle, they help form what are called your neurotransmitters. You have excitatory neurotransmitters like the accelerator in your car, or you have inhibitory neurotransmitters, which are like the brakes. If you're low on B vitamins, you're not going to form them correctly. Right. If you eat a piece of our grass-fed or organic uh, uh, beef, well, how does that protein from that animal become part of your bicep. Well, without B vitamins, the message can't get from your DNA to your RNA to go out and gather the proper amino acids to form that muscle. So if folks are trying to solve their health issues by getting a multivitamin, it's what I call a great landing at the wrong airport. Because we can't get what we need just through supplements. And I'm in the supplement business, but there's supplements to good food not substitutes for it. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, talking about the common cold, uh, nasal allergies, there is one interesting thing I ran into about a year ago that can be surprisingly effective. Although I'm going to say, if you want to try it, ask your physician first. I must kneel low to the physician. They, they do a lot of wonderful things, but nutrition is not their, their long suit. There's a specific type of zinc that comes in a lozenge that is of a size that looks like a, a monument in honor of a mineral rather than <laughs> the mineral itself, that it's what they call zinc acetate. It's put up by a company called Life Extension Foundation. I don't get rewarded from them. I'm not getting paid. But you put this lozenge in your mouth, and if you put it in the early stages of a cold, as weird as it sounds, there actually is something called the mouth, nose, zinc, closed bioelectrical circuit. Wow. This Dr. Nordenstrom, I'm a Swedish fellow, who did a lot of research on this years ago, but then there was a Dr. Eby at the University of Texas who discovered this really somewhat serendipitously for colds. He had a daughter many, many years ago uh, who had leukemia, and she was getting a lot of uh, a lot of toxic therapies to try to keep her alive. But she was getting these frequent, frequent colds, you know, severe colds, and he was giving her zinc tablets, regular zinc tablets. And her throat was so sore, she couldn't swallow it. So she was letting these terrible tasting things dissolve in her mouth. And he discovered this was helping resolve her colds. Well, he found there's a specific type of zinc that fits into this mouth-nosed zinc-closed bioelectrical circuit. Mm -hmm. I get to say that all day long. That's why I said it without stuttering. (laughs) But it inhibits the ability of the virus to replicate in the nose and in the sinuses. It also can be very effective for allergies. And it doesn't cost an arm and a leg. But realize when you open the container and look at it, this is not intended to swallow it. Otherwise, you need to ask someone who can administer a Heimlich maneuver pronto. <laughs> just let this off. You know, it takes about 10 minutes. I take one a day just automatically because very often people don't come to see me until they're feeling sick. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get the gift that keeps on giving. So, 
Which and that and that's like right there. So it's a preventative type of measure. Would you say it, it can yeah. be preventive, but also can be used okay. most effectively if you're in the early stages where you're starting to get that scratchy feel at the back of your throat. You know, oh God, here we go again. You know, so you feel it coming on. Okay. Take it. It's zinc. It's an essential nutrient. Right. And unless you take goofy, loony amounts, you're going to be fine. And and the and that is and you said acid, did you say acetate zinc acetate acetate okay I just I just made a video recently about which zinc to take and I was more I think on the line of the uh, gluconate if I'm even saying that right well gluconate zinc methionate mm -hmm. zinc methionate is, is is a very good one yep. uh, zinc sulfate I wouldn't use because it, it it can cause nausea mm -hmm. quite often it needs to be taken with food mm -hmm. yeah but taking zinc internally for the things that zinc does you don't have to use the acetate. Yeah, mm -hmm. but for what we were just talking about with respiratory distress and nasal allergies and drippy nose and sore throat, uh, it works very, very effectively. Okay. And now what about vitamin D coupled with that, or how often are you recommending for people to dose up on vitamin D? Well, you know, there's a lot of controversy now in this vitamin D uh, uh, area. It, it, it's fascinating because for so long, when I first got into the nutrition business, I was always told, do not ever, my original trainers, do not ever go over 400 international units of vitamin D a day. It's toxic. Well, now, uh, this is, I mean, they're giving that to newborn babies practically. Yeah, and if you're not taking 5,000, you're allegedly susceptible to all sorts of diseases. Yeah. I mean, I, I take more than 5,000 a day. Of course, again, I'm, I'm a senior citizen, mm -hmm. and I want to prop up my immune system. But originally, vitamin D was thought it was just important for bone health. Right. And it does play a role in that. You know, but they've discovered also human beings have about 22,000 genes, more, more or less. Well, zinc or, or vitamin D is involved in over 2,000 of them. If you're low on vitamin D, and I find this most, most commonly in my African-American customers, there's much higher level of breast cancer in African-American women and much higher levels of prostate cancer in African-American men. Almost invariably, if they bring in blood work, their vitamin D levels are sometimes down just in single digits. Mm. So vitamin D is crucial for your immune system, and it's also crucial uh, for, for, for calcium absorption. But here's another example of a tie-in, and not just using loony amounts of one nutrient. You've got to take vitamin K, what we call vitamin K2, along with your vitamin D. It serves as a traffic cop for calcium. Yep. You want calcium going to your bones, you want it going to your teeth. You do not want bone growing in your arteries. Yeah, and, and, and the vitamin K helps direct uh, the, uh, the, the calcium to the right places. And it can also help pull plaque out of the arteries over a period of time. But the main caution with vitamin K is if you're taking Coumadin, because mm -hmm. Coumadin works, you know, which is an anticoagulant, it works by inhibiting vitamin K. Well, over the long haul, you can end up with an, you may not die of an immediate embolism or stroke, but you're setting yourself up for a lot of calcium uh, plaquing arteries. Mm -hmm. So that would be the only precaution I know of uh, as far as taking vitamin K. And, and they actually, I, again, saw uh, an article you turned me on to, talked about a Japanese uh, study, and they had a hundred and some odd, it was like anything from 120 to 160 people mm -hmm. versus the placebo group. Uh, been given vitamin K2 along with their vitamin D and calcium. And in the older age population, it was uh, 
40 something percent increase in strong bones and or even I don't want to call it a reversal and I don't want to go searching for it on my my messy notes I'm trying to you know reform <laughs> but yeah 40 something percent increase in like the signs to show that they you know weren't developing or reversing their osteoporosis or slowing the rate of osteoporosis to four weeks out was 80 something percent versus the placebo group by adding the k2 to their vitamin d and calcium supplementation and those and those were already people that were uh, We'll, we'll just say in need of it, something that was, you know, showing along the lines of an osteopenia or osteoporosis type study for uh, uh, Japan and Japan. And you touched on it. I talked about vitamin D and then you said it's got to be with the vitamin K. Because when you look at the way osteoporosis mm-hmm. is most commonly treated these days, mm-hmm. uh, the, the physician, you know, with the best of intentions will tell their the female patient, take about 1200 milligrams of vitamin D a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or of calcium rather, and about 400 to 600 milligrams of vitamin D, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then, you know, diagnose and adios, you know, you're sort of on your way. <laughs> but, and the drugs, you know, the, that are supposed to help uh, slow bone loss, they're not helping build new bone. You know, there's a variety of pharmaceuticals, Boneva, and any number of them, and I'm sure there's a time and a place for them, but not every time and not every place. When it comes to bone health, in a nutshell, you have cells that build new bone, they're called osteoblasts. You have cells that break down old bone, they're called osteoclasts, and there needs to be a balance of those. I mean, if you're gonna lose old bone, that's a signal to the body to, you know, to, build, to build new bone. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of these drugs, they're inhibiting the osteoclasts. Well, you see, it may not be breaking down the old bone as much, but your body isn't getting the signal to build new bone. So what happens, you end up with this, you end up with this sort of porous bone. It's not really solid. Uh, it's not really solid, healthy bone. And then you end up with a rather charming potential side effect called osteonecrosis of the jaw. Your your jaw bone dies. You know, I so not to interrupt. I just listened to a podcast. It was Paul Saladino, the Fundamental Health Podcast. He had on a, a periodontist or dentist. Mm-hmm. Forgive me, I forgot exactly, but he was talking about jaw development. And the importance of calcium, phosphorus, vitamin K2, and vitamin D. Yeah. And here you are going reflecting on it. Yeah. yeah it's just crucially important. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the problem is, you know, if we're not giving our bodies what they need to be able to repair and then to get rid of old or damaged tissue, you know, how can you expect to have glowing health? I mean, we all want to live long and be healthy. We want to be financially and fiscally healthy. <coughs> Excuse me. But if we're going to be physically healthy, you know, we've got to give our body the tools it needs to repair. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing that, and then plus you're putting in, again, so-called foods that are going to burden your body and tax it, it's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. And we, we see this all day, every day. And I, interestingly, the store where I work is right next door to 7-Eleven. You know, and I see people going in and out all day to the 7-Eleven come out and these huge sugary drinks and, you know, all kinds of sweet tarts and, and fast food type things. They're hungry. They're at work. You know, they're, they're on a break. They have a limited amount of time, you know, but they have no idea what, what they're really doing to them, doing to themselves with this. You know, it, it's just, it's heartbreaking, especially anybody who's listening and watching us now. Yeah. You've got family members, you've got children, you got wives, husbands, mothers, fathers, grandparents, and you love them dearly and you want them to be healthy. This this information is crucial for them. 
very often I'm one of the few guys who likes to go to a shopping mall and people watch. And I'll see folks walking along with their children, and I know they love those little children. They take a bullet for them. And here's the, the children eating, eating some gooey bun. They don't realize that they're feeding potential for sickness into these kids. I might sound like a, a killjoy or an old sourpuss. Like, don't give your kid these things. How can you deprive your children of this? Deprive them? It's just... I, I, I don't mean to sound arrogant or egotistical with it because I'm not that kind of a person. But I see people on this path and it hurts. And, and, and no, I mean, and that's the thing. It's, it's a reality check. And again, nobody's saying never to do it. It's to be aware of the consistency of which most Americans, even probably most of Europe at this point, I mean, at the consistency in which we're doing it to ourselves. And again, the people around us, I mean... I, I mean, I don't want to talk about COVID, but if you ever needed a time in your life to believe that this virus is real and it is killing those of us that are susceptible, this has turned into something that takes everybody that has even high blood pressure, like one of the, like you know one of these first like markers that's correlated with you know diabetes and you know uh, microvascular disease and cardiovascular disease. Uh, obesity, now you know, or if you're just a little overweight, you know, kind of a deal. You know, how much visceral fat do you have? So, you know, and children being obese at rates never, never seen before, and now them being eligible, which is disgusting to even say this, but it's the truth for uh, uh, gastric bypass surgeries and things of that nature, which should be completely off limits for young children, but it is on the table. Whatever, <laughs> no pun intended. So, no, and then you're saying like, I don't want to sound like a killjoy. It's just the reality. And nobody's saying to feed your children, you know, uh, a cooked broth with cooked vegetables and organic beef and organic fish, uh, you know, or wild caught fish only every day, all day. But yeah, we are pretty much saying find a way to make that the cornerstone of their diet. And when you look back at, mm, I don't know, uh, should we should we call it not variety, uh, the amount, quantity. Uh, you know, nine grams of, uh, nine uh, grams per, you know, calorie, whatever of fat, uh, uh, you know, and, and, you know, satiating protein that has fat in it can be, again, quite satiating and satisfying from as early an age as the child can begin to chew and swallow food or that you can blend it for them when they're off of breast milk because that is how you're going to develop healthy, uh, um, vibrant children. That is how we can reverse our chronic inflammation and our disease, right, as, as adults. Yeah. And, and that's, it's the only way really to do it because the only uh, uh, disease, um, how should we say, uh, cure is in prevention. And, yeah. and that's kind of where we're saying this, yeah. Yeah, very interesting, you talk about cravings for foods. In what we eat, what we don't eat, I have parents all the time, they're worried about what their kids are eating because their kids are overweight. How do I stop him or her from eating this? Well, it's very, very interesting. I mean, if the refrigerator is filled with those things and mm -hmm. that's what you provide, well, you're not stopping it. You're literally feeding the process. Mm -hmm. But I heard something very interesting. Uh, uh, I was listening to the radio. and They were talking about some research done with appetite for certain foods. And they discovered what the mother eats during pregnancy makes it to the uterus. And a lot of these kids, shortly after they're born, when they're still babies, they can expose them <coughs> to the smell of certain foods. Mm -hmm. Like if the mother loved broccoli or Brussels sprouts, the kid will kind of make a smile. 
if the, if the mother was eating uh, gooey buns and RC, <laughs> RC, RC cola, you know, and Big Macs and all that, well, then the children responded positively to those. So you do have a probably never a better chance to affect what a child eats mm -hmm. is when it's in the womb and it can't dodge your spoon or fork. Yeah. You know. I think you have a soft spot for Cinnabon. <laughs> <laughs> Cancel this podcast. Cancel it. Negate. Negate. <laughs> some kind of an uploading error guys we're going to go ahead and end this particular part one of this podcast here again you can watch the full episode the full hour and 56 minutes on youtube of course this is going to be most convenient and better sound quality listening to it here on apple or spotify so go ahead and just click on part two of this with mark prizeman if you're listening to part two go ahead and go back and listen to part one with our health chat with a guru Mark Prizman, nutritional consultant and vitamin supplement guru. And go ahead, guys, this is one you won't want to miss. Go ahead and tune in to part two of episode 10 with Mark Prizman. To be continued. Thank you.